It's great to see you all out this morning. My name is Jeff, and uh, I want to welcome you to Good News Gathering and to the fourth and final installment in our lesson series, God on Film. Now, if you're new to us, um, we're excited to have you with us, and we hope that you'll check out any of the lessons in this series that you might have missed um, on our on our G&G app. And, and if you do, um, now, now they're, they're showing them with video instead of just audio the way we used to do it. But if you watch one of those, I would really appreciate it if you would email me at jeff at goodnewsgathering.org with your feedback about the video format. This is an experiment we're running this month, and we'd appreciate any input that you might have. So if you could help us out that way, that'd be great. Um, <clears throat> now, today's movie is Toy Story 4. And Toy Story 4 continues the, to follow the exploits of a group of toys that are led by Sheriff Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Now, these toys have been the beloved playthings of a boy by the name of Andy. But the years have passed, and Andy has grown up. And now, he's heading off to college. And on his way out of town, Andy passes his plastic friends on to a little girl named Bonnie. Hi. Wow, look at you. I hear you're off to college. Yeah, right now, actually. So, what can we do for you? Uh, I have some toys here. Ooh, you hear that, Bonnie? So you're Bonnie? I'm Andy. Someone told me you're really good with toys. These are mine, but I'm going away now. So I need someone really special to play with them. So long, partner. But Bonnie has other toys. And sadly, Woody and his friends find themselves being left in the closet much of the time. Until... Now, Woody's purpose has been clear, to be there for his child. But it's hard to be there for your child when your child's attention is focused on other, newer toys. What's more, Bonnie is growing up too. She's starting kindergarten. Her mother tells her that she can't take her toys to school, and she's scared. She's going to a place she's never been, with kids she doesn't know, without her toys. So the ever-loyal Woody takes it upon himself to sneak into her backpack and accompany her to school. Woody believes that it's his duty to be there for Bonnie. That's his purpose, to be there for his child. During craft time at school, another child takes Bonnie's art supplies and she begins to cry. Woody springs into action. He gathers up some art supplies and some items out of the trash. And then he sneaks those items on to Bonnie's desk. And Bonnie proceeds to fashion a new toy. Okay, class. Craft time. We got this kindergarten thing under control, eh? I can't believe I'm talking to a spork. (laughs) Bonnie's new toy is mainly a spork. She's named him Forky. And Bonnie loves Forky. When they get home, Woody introduces Forky to the rest of the gang. Hi, toys. Hi, toys. 
go to kindergarten. I knew it. No, you're no, trying guys, to get listen, Bonnie in trouble. No, of course not. You could have been confiscated. What does that mean? Taken away. <gasps> no! Or worse, you could have been lost. No, 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 guys, listen. Bonnie had a great day in class, and we're going on a road trip. Road trip? Vacation! <laughs> but then something really weird happened. Bonnie made a friend in class. What a oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. Hey, it's okay. Come on out, that's it. Come on, there you go. Come on, let's get you out of there. You got this. Good, good. Everyone, I want you to meet Forky. Golly, Bob Hat. Look how long his arms are. Problem is, Forky is having an existential crisis. He sees himself as a spork, not a toy. He's a disposable utensil, not a plaything. His purpose is to be used once and then thrown away. His goal is to end up in the trash. So Forky repeatedly attempts to throw himself away. He can't grasp the answer to the question, why am I alive? Now determined to be there for Bonnie, Woody does everything in his power to help Forky embrace his new purpose as a toy. For Woody, the worst thing that could ever happen to a toy would be to get thrown away. So time and time again, he manages to prevent Forky from getting into the garbage. But when the family goes on a road trip, Forky finally makes good his escape. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. Not a toy. I was paper soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Yes. I was made for soup, maybe chili, and then the trash. Woody pulls himself together, and when he finally catches up to Forky, Forky asks the question, that every human being wrestles with at some point in their life. You've wrestled with it. I've wrestled with it. Some of us try just not to think about it, but it's there. And sooner or later, you got to deal with it. You got to settle it for yourself. And it goes like this. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forky is asking what philosophers during the past 200 years have called the existential question. Why am I alive? Why do I exist? Some have even referred to it as the human predicament. We find ourselves alive on this planet. We had no choice regarding the circumstances of our birth, when we would be born in terms of what time in history, where we would be born, to whom, who our parents would be, and yet here we are. The existential question really takes kind of two forms. First, how did I get here? Am I a created being, a creature created by an infinite personal God, or am I the product of blind, impersonal, irrational evolutionary forces that have been at work for billions of years before I was born and will continue to operate for billions of years after I'm gone? Which is it? Because you see, the answer to that existential question impacts how you answer the second part, which is, what is my purpose? You see, for Woody, his purpose is clear. He was created to be there for his child, to help create happy memories that will last for a lifetime, but Forky is conflicted. He still views himself as disposable, here today, trash heap tomorrow. Interestingly, the Danish existentialist Soren Kierkegaard said this. He was a Christian. 
And he concluded that because we are created by God, our purpose is to live lives of unconditional faith and radical obedience. We often talk about God's unconditional love. He talked about our unconditional faith. But later 20th century existentialists, heavily influenced by evolutionary theory and the horrors of two world wars, concluded that there is no God. There's no creator. We're accidents of nature. Two French existentialists, Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus, both of whom fought against the Germans in World War II, determined that in heaven there is nobody home. Man is alone in the universe. There's no rhyme or reason to our existence. The answer to the question, how did I get here, is simple. It just happened. We're accidents. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no ultimate goal. There's no life after death. We're simply here today, gone and forgotten tomorrow. Rubbish on the trash heap of evolutionary history. Sartre ultimately concluded in despair that man is a useless passion. Camus even took it a step further when he famously wrote, there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Why go on living if all we are is meant for the trash? Some of you here this morning may be wrestling with these same questions. How how did I get here? Is there a God? Am I a created being? And if so, what is is my purpose? How am I supposed to live? If there's a creator God, what am I supposed to do with this life that he gave me? You know, the writer H.G. Wells said, If there is no God, nothing matters. If there is a God, nothing else matters. He was right, you know. If there is no God in the grand scheme of things, there's no grand scheme of things. There's no purpose. Doesn't really matter. But if there is a God, the only thing that really matters is what is his purpose for me? Because I'm not an accident. I'm a created being. I have a purpose. And how I live my life, it matters. Now, if if you're here today and, and you're not sure that you believe there's a God, or you're struggling to believe in the God of Christianity, I'd love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. Just just write on that connect card, reasons to believe. Drop it in the containers in the back of the auditorium or take it to the welcome center after the service, and we'll call you this week, and we'll arrange a time for you and I to sit down, and we'll just talk, and, and I'll tell you the reasons why I believe. But for purposes of this lesson, we're going to assume that the God of the Bible does exist, which raises the question then, what is my purpose? And today's lesson is entitled, Finding My Purpose. Now, our focus verse for this lesson series is Ephesians 3, 20, and 21. It's up here on the screens. Let's all recite it together. Here we go. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. And notice what it says there. It says, now all glory to God. Notice how the focus of this passage is always start to finish on God. He's the creator. We're created beings. 
Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. The focus stays on him and what he is able to accomplish in and through us through his mighty power, not ours. What can he accomplish in and through us? And the writer says, it's beyond your wildest imagination. And that's why all the glory goes to him forever and ever. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this passage focuses on you, not us. And it says glory to him and the church. And Father, it is our hope and prayer that at Good News Gathering, you always receive all the glory. You are the one that enables and empowers us to do whatever it is that we accomplish for good. And so all glory to you in this church for all generations, forever and ever. Father, please bless the reading of your word today. Help us to think well and to set aside anything that might distract. Help us to focus. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if this is your first time at Good News Gathering, on your way in, you received a white sheet. It's got holes punched on the side, and that's an outline that will help you follow along this morning. And we're going to dive in because we've got a lot to cover. But many Christians wonder, what's my purpose? Does God have a specific purpose for my life? If so, have I perhaps missed it? I mean, have I gone through life thinking that I was on the right track only to discover too late that God had something totally different in mind and and somewhere along the line I just didn't get it? Something else he really wanted me to do and I, I just missed it. How do I find my purpose? And you know, a lot of Christians seem to think that it's some kind of mystery It's something hidden. It's something that's difficult to find, as if God is kind of playing hide-and-seek with us. But I think we can take some of the mystery out of this if we remember our focus verse. Remember where the focus of our focus verse was. It was on Him. All of the attention in that passage is laser-focused on God, not me and not you. And in Psalm 143, David prayed a very similarly focused prayer. He said this, teach me, teach me to, to to what? Teach me to do, circle that word, do. Teach me to do, okay? Action word, teach me to do what? Circle those next two words, your will. Teach me to do what? Your will, why? Why would he pray that? Well, he tells us four. Circle these next four words. You are my God. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. You are God, the creator. I am not. I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do yours. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And the idea here is God's spirit leading us on level ground is leading us into his will. And notice what it says. It says, teach me to do your will, not teach me to know your will. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't doesn't say, teach me to find your will. He doesn't say, teach me to recognize your will when it hits me. He doesn't say, teach me to understand your will. He says, Teach me to do your will. David assumes we can know it. We can understand it. We can recognize it. It's not mysterious. It's not hidden. It's not reserved for a privileged few. The problem is not in knowing it. The problem is in obeying it. Doing God's will. 
And friends, in order to truly grasp the issue of purpose, we have to shift the question from what's my purpose, which is self-focused, to what is God's purpose or his will for me and my life. You see, it's not about me. It's not about my purpose based on my skills and my abilities and my personality and my position in life. It's not that. Just as David prayed, you and I must be motivated by a compelling desire to do the will of God. And when you think about it, Jesus exhibited this kind of a compelling desire. Early in his ministry, when he was asked by his disciples to teach them to pray, here's what he said. Most of you have heard this before. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, circle these words, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, if if God's will is to be done on earth, then those of us who follow him must commit ourselves to doing his will. And then we see Jesus live out his prayer that he just prayed at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he died when he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And when you think about it, in this moment of sheer agony, knowing that what he was about to suffer and experience, Jesus asked that this cup of pain and suffering might be taken from him. He knew the price he was about to pay to save us. He knew the physical suffering and the separation from God, and yet he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus had this compelling desire to do the Father's will. And the Apostle Peter wrote this about early Christ followers. He said this, as a result, and and what he's talking about here is he's, he's saying, as a result of what Christ did for them, as a result, they, referring to Christians, notice what he says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So, if as Christians, the question is, what is God's will or his purpose for me, then what is it? What's his purpose? Some of you are thinking, okay, Jeff, just tell me. Tell me what it is, okay? I'll do it. All right, I'm in. I'll do it. I just need to know what it is, okay? We'll get there. First, what I want to do, though, is I want to deal with some common misconceptions, four of them, about God's purpose or his will for us. Now, some believe that God's will... It's undesirable. It's undesirable. It's everything you really don't want to do. God's will is, is kind of like a diet. Right? All the good stuff is off limits. Okay? As if God is some kind of cosmic killjoy. As if it's his will to take all the joy and all the fun out of life. I talk to Christians that act that way sometimes. Like their life before they ever came to Christ was a whole lot more fun and a whole lot more exciting and and now things are just kind of boring. Others believe that God's will, you know what? It's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. A lot of Christian people view God's will like a lottery ticket and only a select few ever get a winning ticket. If you get one, you're supremely blessed, but it's rare. In fact, most of us go through our entire lives never actually knowing what was the will of God for my life. We're confused. We never really feel certain. There are some Christians who believe that, you know what, God's will, it's this like one perfect fit. 
Okay? The will of God is this hyper-specific thing, that, and it's, it's, it's this only one thing, that one perfect fit that's correct. Like there's only one man or one woman in the entire world that you should marry. That's God's will for you. There's only one college, regardless of how many that you got accepted to, there's only one school that you should go to that's God's will. There's only one career. Regardless of whether you have skill in multiple careers, there's this this, this one that's God's will. And if you don't get that one, you know, you missed it. One house, one area to live in. And you got to go through life trying to figure out which exact one is God's will for my life. And you worry. Did I pick the one perfect fit? Because if I missed it, then my life's going to be off track. I'll have missed God's will for my life. And we worry about a specificity that goes way beyond anything God ever intended. And the fourth misconception about God's will is this. It's revealed by a sign or religious experience. Okay? God's will, I mean, if, if you get God's will, if you're lucky enough to be one of those chosen few, it's revealed by some sign or some religious experience, like the person who's walking in front of a travel agency slips on a banana peel and lands on a brochure about Peru and suddenly says, you know what, God, I think he's calling me to be a missionary in Peru. Really? Or you know what, Jeff, I checked into my hotel room and when I pulled out the Gideon's Bible, it fell open to such and such a verse. It really did. And I believe it's God's will for that to be my life verse. I'm to order my entire life around that verse. And I'm thinking, man, that's scary stuff. Because you could do that. And Judas went out and hung himself. Go thou and do likewise. Really? Is that where this is going? Or you know what? Jeff, I met this guy who's receiving brand new revelations from God in dreams and visions. And he told me exactly what I needed to hear. I mean, it, it, just, it fit me, Jeff. Friends, please be very careful when it comes to alleged signs and religious experiences Be wary of people claiming some new revelation that purports to reveal the will of God for your life. Okay? In fact, as your pastor, let me give you two rules of thumb that could very easily save you from a lot of heartache, a whole lot of spiritual pain, and perhaps hell. Okay? Do I have your attention? Two rules of thumb. First, when it comes to signs and revelations and religious experiences, number one, God's word is sufficient. His word is sufficient. The apostle Peter wrote this, for you have been born again. Now understand, he's writing to Christians somewhere around 60 A.D., 30 years after Jesus left the earth. And he says, you have been born again. In other words, you have been saved from your sins and made right with God through Christ. How? Well, he goes on to explain. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life they gave you will end in death. In other words, he's saying, this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing. He says, but this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal, circle these two words, living word. Living word of God. Okay. So what's the living word of God? He tells us. And that word is the good news. Circle those two words. 
is the good news that was preached to you. So how are we born again just like they were born again in the first century? By the good news of Jesus that was preached in the early church and that we read about in God's word. Friends, everything necessary for us to be saved and to live the life God wants us to live is found right here. There is absolutely no need for any further new revelation because God's word is sufficient. Beware anyone who claims to have some new extra-biblical revelation from God. Beware. In fact, here's an easy way to remember this. If it's not in the word, it's not of the Lord. If it's not in the word, it's not of the Lord. And I've had people sit in my office and tell me, well, I have a new revelation. And my response is, show me book, chapter, and verse, or don't waste my time. Don't waste my time. It's not in the Word. It's not of the Lord. And I'll tell you something else. If it's true, it's not new. If it's true, it'll be right in here. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us, notice what it says, in every way. Circle those two words. All Scripture is inspired by God. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, not in some ways. Not in, you know what, there's other ways because we left some stuff out, he, out of here. No. It is God's way of preparing us in every way. Circle the next two words. Fully equipped. <laughs> fully equipped to what? Fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. In other words, there is nothing that God wants us to do that we are not fully equipped for by this. Scripture fully equips us for every good thing God wants us to do. There is nothing more we need to be prepared in every way and to be fully equipped for every good thing. When it comes to what we need to know, it's all right here. And the second rule of thumb goes like this. God's will will never contradict God's word. God's will will never contradict God's word. But, well, Jeff, you know, <clears throat> my boyfriend and I have prayed about it, and we believe it's God's will for us to move in together. I don't know what God you've been praying to, but it's not this one. Okay, because that's right here. That's in black and white. All you got to do is read it. His will never contradicts his word. Okay, Jeff. What exactly is God's will? Or his, or his purpose for me? What, what is it? Okay. I'm going to give you four things very quickly, and this is not hard. This is not hard because in every instance, the Bible clearly indicates that this is God's will for us. You see, God wants us to know his will. He is trying, not trying to hide it from us. It's not a big mystery. So here we go. Number one, it's God's purpose or his will for me, number one, to be saved. To be saved. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. Circle that phrase. 
God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is God's desire for every one of us. He wants all people, not some, not a select few, all people to be saved and to know the truth that there is one mediator between us and God, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus, in fact, said it this way. Some people asked him, what must we, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. How cool is that, friends? That it's his will that everyone who looks to his son and believes in him shall be saved. To say, speaking through the Apostle Paul, he said, Be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says something that, that may seem kind of odd to you. He says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the second part of God's will for us is, it's God's will for me to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand if some of you, depending on maybe your church background, you're, you're starting to think, oh, oh, is this kind of this kind of thing? Okay, is this going to get like weird? Is this going to be like some of that stuff I see on Christian TV that's kind of like out there? It's not. It's very practical. But you may be wondering, why, why mention don't get drunk right in this middle of talking about God's will and being filled with the Spirit. What, what's that about? Well, friends, it's a matter of control. You see, when you get drunk, you lose control of yourself. And God wants us to be controlled by His Spirit. His Spirit begins to reside in us when we accept Christ, and he wants us to be filled with that spirit in such a way that we are controlled by the spirit. Now, some of you, some of you are thinking, what, what does it mean to be filled with the spirit, Jeff? I mean, is that, does that mean I have to, I have to do stuff that, like, I don't, you know, what exactly does that mean? What does that look like? Well, like I said earlier, friends, this is very, very practical. In fact, the Bible tells us this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is also translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Friends, if you want to know if you're filled with the Spirit, the question is very simple. Are you growing in these characteristics more and more the longer you're a Christian? Think about that. Are you more loving, more joy-filled, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, faithful, good, gentle, self-controlled? Are you those things? Are those things being exhibited in your life? That's how to tell if you're filled with the Spirit, or are you the same angry, irritable, sharp-tongued, self-centered, out-of-control sinner you've always been? If so, it's God's will for you to change, to let the Spirit fill you. So God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be filled with His Spirit. Third, it's God's will for me to be sanctified. Now, I know that, that may be a word that's kind of unfamiliar to, to some of you. We'll, we'll define it in just a moment, so hang with me. 
But the Bible tells us this. It says, it is God's will that you should be, circle that word, sanctified. Sanctified. And then the writer goes on to give us a couple of examples of, of, of how that works. If we're being sanctified, it says that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before. The examples he uses says, if you're being sanctified, he said, then, then in your life you begin to avoid sexual immorality and you, you begin to treat people right. You don't, take, you don't treat people wrong or take advantage of them. And that word sanctified simply means being conformed into the image of Christ. Coming like Christ. It's a process that's carried on by the Holy Spirit who hopefully is filling us. And over time, we are becoming more and more like Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. This sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is a lifelong process as we grow more and more like Christ, more and more over time. We reflect His attitudes His character, his words, his actions. So God's will for us is to be saved. It's to be filled with the Spirit. It's to be sanctified. And it's to be submissive to him. Submissive to him. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he said, Therefore... And he's referring to what he had written before, which he's, he was talking about what Christ has done for us. He says, therefore, in light of, in other words, in light of what Christ has done for us, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The idea of a living sacrifice is, is that of being submitted to the will of God. And then he goes on to say this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, when we submit to God, when we approach God with the attitude, not my will, yours be done. Okay, God, whatever you ask, my answer is already yes. Then then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We will know his will for our lives. Now, God's will for my life and your life is that we be saved, we be filled with the Spirit, we be sanctified, and we be submissive to him. That's our purpose. That's the will of God for our lives. Okay? Now, I know some of you are disappointed. You're thinking, is that it, Jeff? I mean, there's got to be more to it. I thought you were going to tell me, like, what school I should go to, or what girl, or what guy I should marry, or, or, or what career I should pursue. Can't you, can't you get a little more specific? You want specific? I'll give you specific. All right? Listen up. If you're saved, listen carefully. If you're saved, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you are sanctified, and if you are submissive, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Attend whatever school you want to attend. Marry whoever you want. Pursue whatever career you want. And I know some of you are thinking, 
you can't be serious. I can't believe you're telling a crowd of people that. Oh, yes, I am. Here's why. Because I know this. If you are saved, if you are filled with the Spirit of God, if you are sanctified and submissive to His will, I know who controls your wants. God does. Think about it, friends. I got accepted to six law schools. You know why I went to Case Western? Because I wanted to. I didn't stumble across a Bible verse that said, Thou shalt attend case. Didn't happen. You know why I married Cheryl? Because I wanted to. And thank God she said yes. Someday she wishes she'd gotten a verse, but that's another story. (laughs) Do you know why I got involved with G&G? Because I wanted to. And I can assure you there was no audible voice. There was no bright light that came down with angelic voices. You see, when you're saved... You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified and you're submissive to God's will. You are operating within the context of his will. And he will lead you and guide you because you have a compelling desire to do his will. You know, it's funny. When I I passed the bar exam and and opened my law office, I'll never forget because the the day we moved into the law office we had uptown, I was was sitting at the desk and Cheryl was there and I said, you realize that it's quite likely I will die at this desk. Little did I know that 18 years later, God would say, time for a career change, Jeff. Was I out of God's will because I I thought I was going to be a lawyer all my life? No. But he moved me where he wanted me to go because I was operating within the context of his will. And believe me, I have never for one minute doubted that he has used my education to help me do this. Friends, if you're saved... You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified and you're submissive. Then do what you want. Take joy in it. Because God is controlling your wants. Now, if you would, this morning, please take out your connect card. This is everybody, if you would. Take take out your connect card. And... Stick your name on there and whatever information you're comfortable with, maybe contact information if you have a prayer request or, or a comment or a question. But on the back of that connect card in the box on the left-hand side, you know, I talked earlier to folks in the audience that maybe aren't sure that you believe that there's a God. Or you're not sure if If there is a God, if it's really the God of the Bible, maybe it's some other God or some other belief system. And I hope that if that describes you, that you'll just check that first box that says what it means to be a follower of Jesus and and just write in that comment part reasons to believe. And we'll get a hold of you and we'll, we'll sit down at some point and we'll talk about why I believe. And maybe, maybe we'll learn something together about that. Perhaps you're here today and you've come to the conclusion that, you know what? I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I do believe that He died on the cross for my sins. And, and I know I've sinned. And I need to ask for forgiveness. And friends, if that's, if that's where you're at this morning, then you're at that point in your spiritual journey where it's time for you to think seriously about following Christ's example in baptism and also his command.
to be baptized. And we've got a baptism celebration coming up next Sunday, and we've got some folks that have already signed up for that. And if you want to be a part of that, all you've got to do is let me know and, and just check that box, baptism, on the, on the card there. And, and that. One last thing. Notice down there in that box, there's two boxes. One says serving opportunities and sharing the good news. You have a golden opportunity this week, next Saturday, to grow in your faith and to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people in our community, and that's through the free sale. You heard Eric talk about it earlier. And friends, if you can help out either monetarily or you can come in at some time Tuesday and Thursday through the week and and work, or if you can be here next Saturday to, to help hand stuff out to folks, you can bless young people in our community who are going to be going off to school here in a few in a few weeks. And you can help a lot of families that need help. I hope, friends, that you'll check those two boxes and and stop out at the table in the atrium. But friends, you have an opportunity here to make a difference in our community. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and for this time that we've had to look into your word and to ask that question, what is your will, your purpose? for all of us. Father, it's my hope and prayer that if there's anyone here this morning who cannot honestly say, I'm saved. I've placed my faith in Christ. I pray, Father, that they'll take care of that. I pray, Father, that those who have believed will become filled with the Spirit They'll be sanctified. They'll grow more and more like you over time and and they'll be submissive to your will because, Father, when that happens, when that happens, we connect with you in an incredible way and life becomes rich and full for us. Father, we thank you for your son who made all of this possible. This is our prayer in Christ's name. And we all agreed together and said, Amen.